Pastor Daniel is away, and so he asked me if I'd share the word today. We're in the book of Romans, and so uh, I think you know where you're at. If you have the uh, notes, uh, I didn't underline the words, so you're going to have to pay even better attention today than you paid before, but that's not a bad thing, right? So you just have to find the words, and then you can fill them in. So the book of Romans, we're in chapter number four. Pastor Daniel did the beginning of the chapter. I'm going to finish with the last one of the chapter, verses 13 through 25, and talking about the promise of faith. God has given us many, many promises, and that's kind of the theme that goes through the end of this chapter. He's dealt with a couple things before about the circumcision and about the law, and uh, we're going to talk even further about the things that God has here in the last part of the chapter. Primarily the promise. That's what I'm going to focus on to begin with. And so the first promise is here in verse number 13. It says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants that he would be heir of the world. Let me just stop right there and say, He is the heir of the world. That means it's not just of the Jewish people but it's of the whole world. It's interesting that today we have somewhere between 15, 16 million Jewish people in the world, but we have 2.2 million Christians. The seed of Abraham is not just of the nation of Israel, but it's of the people of God. You are descendants of Abraham. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> He is the heir of the world, and uh, he's the beginning of faith, and so we follow after him. It goes on and says, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So the promise that was given to Abraham was not through the law. There's nothing going to happen. We'll talk about that in a few minutes, but it was through the promise. The first promise that is in the book of Genesis uh, where the Bible begins, of course. It says, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Talking about Satan right here. And Satan bruised the heel of Jesus. He was nailed to the cross, and that nail that went through his feet actually bruised his heel. But that's how Jesus Christ bruised the head of Satan. And when you bruise the head of Satan, that means he has no more power, no more victory. He is defeated in the name of Jesus Christ. You believe that? He is defeated. I know he's still roaming around trying to confuse people and trying to tempt people and trying to get all kinds of difficulties to our lives, but he is defeated once Jesus Christ rose from the dead. The last promise, Revelation chapter 22 and verse 20 uh, 20, it says, he who testifies to this thing says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. How many have been praying for the coming of Jesus? When I was a young man, I didn't pray that prayer. I said, Lord, take your time. Take your time. I'm not in a hurry. I'd like to live my life. And now that I'm getting older, uh, quite considerably older, I pray a little bit differently. I said, Lord, if you want to come in my lifetime, it's fine. But uh, if you want to come later, that's okay. I don't mind it either way. Anyway, these are the two's beginning and the ending of the promises. But there are some other promises I want to share with you today. The next one is in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. This is the verse that God showed to me through 
a wonderful man, uh, when I first received Christ as my Savior, he told me, if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. I listened to that verse that he read that night, and I said, well, I kind of already believe that Jesus Christ was real. I kind of been raised in the church, even though I'd never made any profession of faith at all. But I believe that Jesus was the Son of God. But I had never confessed him as my Lord and Savior. And so I took the next 15, 20 minutes to think about all the sin that I had committed, which was a lot more than what I could remember. And I confessed my sin to him. And then I said, Jesus, if you can save me, come. I need your help. And he forgave me my sin that night. And trust that you've already had that experience, that the freedom that comes with forgiveness is amazing. I walked out of that church that night. I'm not sure that I walked on the carpet. I was a little bit higher than that, I think. Uh, I felt wonderful. And I still feel the same way today. Jesus has redeemed me. He set me free from my past, from my sin. It no longer is a part of my life. He's changed me and turned me around. What a wonderful scripture that was for me that night. And it continues to be the same way. Another scripture in 1 John chapter 1, 9, I use this a lot in my Christian life. <clears throat> says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Many times as I walk through uh, various days and various weeks, I made mistakes. Uh, I sinned against God, even though I had been forgiven. It was a child of God. But I found out that this verse I used over and over and over and over again. I would go to him, and finally, one day I remember praying, and I said, God, I don't know if I can ask you to do this again. I've asked you so many times to forgive me of my faults and my sin, my waywardness. And I didn't hear the voice of God, but I just knew that if I would just confess my sins, God's word is faithful, that he would forgive me my sin. And that's what I continue to do because that verse is so powerful. Philippians 1.6 says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what he's going to do. He continues to work in our lives. From glory to glory, he's changing me. Ever taken note as to how he changed you day by day? Maybe even month by month? How has God changed me lately? What has he done in my life to bring me closer to him? What is it that he's revealing to me, even through his promises? Here's another one that I've, I, I was blessed by. I think, hope it will bless you, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. It says, no temptation has overcome you, but such is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Now when I read that, I like that because it says that he's going to be faithful not to take me into an area where I don't have the power to refuse temptation. But then when I got down to the end, I said that you may be able to endure it. I thought, you know, that's kind of a second hand, a left hand way of saying, God, you're going to be faithful, but I might have to go through something that's going to take some time. 
and I'm going to have to be faithful to you and not give in to those things that I'm being tempted with. And I thank God for his, for his word because it, it is true. It, it brings forth just exactly what he says that he will do. <clears throat> In the next verse, go back to the Old Testament to Ezekiel 36, 26. He says, I will give you a new heart and put in your spirit within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. Has he done that? What he said he would do. He's going to take the heart of stone out of us where we're, where we're rebellious, where we think that we've got everything all together, and instead he's going to put within us a heart of flesh, one that's open, one that's surrendered, one is that yielded to him, one who loves him with all of our heart. Another one in Luke chapter 11 <clears throat> through 13, it says, if you, bring, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? It wasn't too long after I became a Christian that I went to a camp and they were talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I thought, baptism, I'd never heard of such a thing. I'd never read that in the Bible. So I began to read where that happened in the New Testament church. And I thought, well, if that's a gift for me, then I want everything that God has. Went forward and I prayed and... and uh, God gave me such a wonderful experience with him that night, but I'd never spoken in tongues. And I thought, wow, that's, that's okay. The next day, one of my friends at that camp said, can you be filled with the Holy Spirit without speaking in tongues? And immediately the answer came from the man who was sharing the word that, that week. No, that's part of the process. You will be given another language when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And everything in my heart just sank at that time because I didn't speak in tongues. Oh my goodness, I prayed for weeks, days, months after that. Uh, Lord, if this is a gift for you, from you, I want to receive it. And it literally took, I don't know, about three or four months before something began to happen within my heart, my faith, and he gave me a, a language that I never knew, never understood. And I still use that today in my prayer because he knows how to pray through me in ways that I don't know how to pray. And so let me encourage you, if you haven't been filled with the Holy Spirit, read from Corinthians chapter 12 and 13 and 14 and receive the Holy Spirit because he gave that to the disciples. He said, go back and wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And that's what they did. They waited till the day of Pentecost. On the day of Pentecost, they were in the upper room, 120 of them, and the Holy Spirit came upon them. They began to speak at least 18 different languages is what the book of Acts says. And other people who spoke those languages heard them speaking in those languages and said, God must be real. You know how many people were saved that day because they heard the message through speaking in tongues? How many thousand? 3,000 people that were listening to that came to Jesus Christ. Now, that would doubly fill our room here, all right? As you speak in tongues, God's power is going to work in a mighty way. And so be open to the things that God has for us. I found, I, I used to think that there were 33,000 a uh, thousand promises in the Bible. And uh, I thought, wow, 33,000. going to take me a while to adjust to all of those and receive those. But I, I read recently that it's only 3,573. 3, now, I don't know which is right, 
but 3,573 may be possible if you live long enough. But when you read through the Bible and you see the promises of God, you receive the promise and you, you stand on those promises, amazing things happen within our lives. And so let me give you a couple more. It says here in, in, <clears throat> in verse 16 of what we read this morning in, in chapter number 4, it says the promise will be guaranteed to all of the descendants, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. He is the father of faith. He's put faith within us that we might receive that promise. Over in verse number 20, going on, it says, with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. Abraham, our father, grew strong in faith. Not only did he receive the promise to begin with, but he continued to receive the promise and stood strong in the faith that God had given to him. And then the next verse says, and being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able to perform. He doesn't call us to do the things that only God can do. He calls us to receive by faith, receive the promise that he's given to us that he might be active in our lives. Sometimes I think that we need to grow and we need to develop so that it's really up to us to work out the, the things of God. In fact, the Word of God says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. <clears throat> and I thought about that and I said, yeah, it's up to me. And I found out more and more that it's really not up to me. It's up to the God who lives within me. He's the one that directs me to promises. He's the one that gives me faith when I need it. Faith is actually a gift that he gives to each one of us. It's amazing what God does in our lives. And I don't know where you are this morning, but let me tell you, I, I think we need to go beyond the promises. We need to see the promise, and then we need to act on faith to receive it. So the promise is fulfilled by faith. I remember one time I was praying, asking God for direction in my life, and I had been to my boss, I had been to people in the church, I had been to another man that I knew that, I, that was a Christian, and I was looking for God's direction. And I was praying at home on my lunch hour, and God gave me a verse, and I had never read it that I know of before. He says, go in your bedroom, get your Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, and verse 5, never had anything. I, it wasn't audible. I just knew that's what I should do. And so I went in, opened my Bible, the First Corinthians chapter 2. This is what it says, that your faith might not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That answered every question that I had. I was disappointed with the people, especially the people in the church that I was talking to, because they didn't have any answers for me. And sometimes our brothers and sisters just don't have it, but the power of God has all of the answers that you need. He will come and he will meet you, he will direct you, he will give you his life, he'll give you his joy, his peace, his direction, because that's his promise. That sound all right? The promise of God is an amazing thing. We need to respond to that. So let me talk to you a little bit about faith. It, the promise is kind of the center thing here, and then faith that responds to it. It says here in, <clears throat> in verse 13, For the promise to Abraham was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham had the gift of faith that God gave to him, and he received the promise, and he said, Okay, Thank you for your promise. 
Now let me just ask you a question. How long did it take for Abraham to receive that promise? 25 years. That sound okay to you? God gives you a promise, it's okay, now just wait a while. How many know that when the Bible says wait upon the Lord, you might be in for a stint of a year or two? God doesn't answer everything immediately. He knows best what to do in our lives. We don't. And so we follow his direction, and however long it takes, we're ready for it. In verse 14, it says, For those who are of the law, uh, excuse me, for if those who are of the law are heirs, then faith is made void and the promise is nullified. If we think that it's according to the law, well, then we're stuck because it's not according to law. The law doesn't help us at all except guide us as to what we're to do. In verse 15, it says, For the law brings about wrath, but where there is no law, there also is no violation. Only the law brings judgment. If you're going down the highway and you're going 70 miles an hour and the law says it's only 55 miles an hour, you can get a ticket and that's part of the wrath that comes with the law. I'm coming from Kansas, and when I started to drive, there were no speed limits on the highway. You believe that? Well, I'm old. <laughs> now they have a speed limit, 80 miles an hour in Kansas. Of course, most of the roads are straight, very little hills. You don't have to bother about those things. But where there is no law, there's no violation. But where there is a law, how many have read the Ten Commandments lately? One, <laughs> two. Maybe we ought to go back and read that because wrath comes from that and we want to be spared that. And we need to find an answer to the law. And the answer is faith in Jesus Christ. He came and took our sin upon him, himself and he provided a way of escape for us that we might live by the promise of God according to faith. That's where we are according to God's word. It says in, <clears throat> in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, Without faith, it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. I thank God for that verse because if you seek after him, he will reward you. Have you been paying attention to the rewards that have been coming your way? Some of you nod. Yeah, I think I received some of the rewards. You need to seek after him. If you're not seeking after him, the rewards will come slowly. That's why the Tuesday night prayer meeting is the most important uh, meeting that we have. Most people come on Sunday mornings because they like to come and have social time and like to hear the word. But when we come on Tuesday night, we come to pray. We come to seek after the face of the Lord. And when you do that, you receive from him. And I'm not saying you can't seek the Lord on your own. You can. But if this is the most important thing that God has given us to do, seeking after him, then I think we need to spend some time doing that. If you don't seek after the Lord, what's he going to do? How can he answer something that isn't being asked? And so we need to seek after him. <clears throat> it says in verse 17, in the presence of him, whom he believed, even God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. 
Now that's how he created the, the, the place that we're living in. He spoke the word and things begin to happen. This world and this universe that we live in, the water and the trees and everything that is here was out of the mouth of God. He spoke it. It didn't exist before, and now it does. That's what happens when we're healed. When we come and we're sick and we seek after the Lord and say, Lord, you took your stripes upon your back that I might be healed. And as we express faith in him, he touches us and he heals us. Jesus went about healing everyone. That's what he did. Now, he walked by people that he didn't heal. You need to understand that, too. And why did it take so long? I mean, especially the beggar at the, at the, at the temple <clears throat> when the disciples were going in. Jesus had gone by him many, many times. But they didn't stop like Peter and John. But Peter and John stopped that day and said, in the name of Jesus, stand up and walk. His feet immediately were touched and he was healed. I don't know how all of this happens, but I know he's promised it, and I know he gives a faith to the promise, and out of that faith and promise coming together, wonderful things happen, and we need to seek the Lord in order for that to take place. He goes on in verse number 18 and says, in hope against hope, he believes so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which he had been spoken. So shall your descendants be. I love being here at Grace Point because we don't just have one nationality. I was saved in a church that was all white in the middle of Kansas, actually in the northern part of Kansas. And uh, I... Then went to Chicago to the Bible college, and I met a lot of brothers and sisters from different nationalities, and I said, this is wonderful. This is what the Bible says. And here at Grace Point, we have 70, 71, or 72 nationalities, we haven't counted lately, uh, of people that know the Lord, of all of the nations. That's what he's decided to do, to bring us together. And let me tell you, when we get to heaven, it's going to be every nation. Not just some of us, but every nation. He's calling people together. And we're going to live with him forever in the kingdom of God. Doesn't that sound exciting to you? I begin to think about what it's like to live in heaven. I still haven't found the answer, but uh, I dream about it. I think about it. Wonder, what is that going to be like? And I don't know whether we're going to remember stuff here on earth. I can't imagine that we would because it says he's going to wipe every tear away from us. And if we remember too much stuff here on earth, I, I think we'll cry a lot. If we, we experience the glories of the kingdom of heaven and then think about our life here on earth, wow, what a difference that is. So our memories are going to be erased, I think. Does that sound okay with you? A lot of our memories aren't any good anyway. <laughs> but he's going to give us something new, something brand new that's going to change the amazing thing that he's working in our life. So in hope against hope, he changes us. In verse 19, it says, without becoming weak in faith, he contemplated his own body. Now as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb. He had received this promise 25 years beforehand, and now after 25 years, he says, there's, there's no hope. I, don't, I, I can't imagine that God's going to do it. But he went ahead and did it anyway. In verse number 20, it says, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God. <laughs> and being fully assured, 21, 
being fully assured that what God had promised, he was able also to perform. He believed that whatever God said that he could do. And you say, well, what about the problems that Abraham had? I mean, his wife came to him 10 years after the promise and said, you know, God's taken a long time. Maybe we ought to step in and do something. So why don't you marry Hagar <clears throat> and bring her into the family and maybe from her we'll have the promised son. And so he listened to her and he said, oh my goodness, that caused so many troubles in the world. But that's what he did because he didn't wait on the promise that God had given to him. And so they had a son, Ishmael, and from there went from bad to worse and difficulties arose in and out of the house, all kinds of problems. But when 25 years came, to the surprise, I think, of Abraham and Sarah, because they both laughed when God said, you're going to have a child. Sometimes when we hear the promise of God, we think, oh, my goodness, that's impossible. Well, that's what he does. He does the impossible. And so believe for the impossible, because that's what he wants to do in our lives. And so even though they laughed, they had a son by the name of Isaac. You know what his name means? Laughter. <laughs> Every time they saw this little boy, they started laughing and said, look at this. I, I can't believe this is what God did. He brought him into being. It says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, he offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was offering up this only begotten son. Amazing. When he grew up to a certain age, somewhere in the teen years probably, God says, okay, now I want you to go and sacrifice him on an altar. And Abraham, without wavering, I would have had a real difficult time with that. I've never fully understood this until you read through the whole story. He took his son. They went together. They put the wood on the altar, and Isaac said, okay, where's the lamb that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham said, no, we don't have a lamb. We have you. Tied up his own son, put him on the altar, and was ready to strike him with a knife. And God says, no, stop. He tested him to see if he would respond to the almighty God. And sometimes our, our faith is tested. Even the promises that God gives to us. And he tests those promises from time to time. And we need to follow through in obedience to God because he knows how to take care of things far better than we do. So it goes on to say there in Hebrews eleven nineteen, and he says, he considered that God was able to raise people even from the dead from which he also received them back as a type. He said, I know that if this happens, that Isaac is sacrificed on this altar, I believe that God can raise him from the dead. Who does that sound like? Sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? He, as a type, he, God knew what he was doing. Abraham didn't. But he knew that he was going to sacrifice his own son on the cross. God the Father willingly sent Jesus his son to die on that cruel cross that we might have life. If it wasn't for that, we wouldn't be here this morning. We wouldn't be singing songs of praise. We wouldn't be able to seek after God with our whole heart and see him answer things. Everything would be completely different. Jesus is the center focus of all that God does, and we need to respond to him. And so here... <laughs> uh, 
It says <clears throat> the promise we've talked about, faith we've talked about, we need to talk about the last part of this chapter, which is credit. <clears throat> it says in verse 22, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. Because he was faithful to God, God credited to him. And the him there is Jesus himself. And it goes on and says, Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. Hallelujah. Do you have some credit with God? <laughs> it says that he counted this as benefits to us. It says that he is doing a mighty work in our life. If you go to the bank and you deposit some money, that's what we're talking about here. You're credited with that which you've deposited. And your bank account raises a little bit. And as you come to the Father, he credits us and he credits us and he credits us. How many credits do you have today, do you know? It says that this is yet the future in a sense. It says without whom it will be credited to those who believe in him, to those who know the promise, to those who act on those promises, it will be credited to us. So when we get to heaven, there's going to be an amazing response that God the Father and the angels and other people that we know are going to respond to us. And then lastly in verse 25, it says, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. That's what he has done. He's accomplished salvation for each one of us. If you're here this morning, I trust that you've entered into the joy of the promise of God, salvation through the blood of Jesus Christ. I trust that faith has arisen in your heart and you're ready to move on this week to all of the promises that he wants to give to you. Let me tell you, you need to read the scriptures in order to know the promises. Once in a while he, do, may, he does what maybe he did to me and say, you need to go and read 1 Corinthians 2.5. I don't know what that was, but I went and read that and wonderful promise came. But generally it's when you're reading through the scripture and all of a sudden something stands out to you. I've read sometimes through the scripture and something just stood out to me as a wonderful promise of God. And I kept reading because that's what I was doing at the time. And then later I would want to go back and find, what was that promise? And you know, many times I can't go back and find it, even though I read over the same scripture again. And so I started underlining. <laughs> I may go back to it, but I'll know where it is. God speaks to us. Let me tell you, God wants to speak to you today. That's why he's given us the word. Look at this. The scriptures, the Bible, the word of God made manifest to us through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. What a wonderful father we have. What a wonderful savior we have. Oh my goodness, he's given us 3,000 plus promises. Faith to receive the promises that it may be credited not only to what Christ did, but credited to us. We're going to take some time here at the end of our service and share communion together. I trust that you picked up your communion on the way in. If not, you can get it during this next song. And we're going to take a few minutes to say, Lord, we thank you for your body that was nailed to the cross for us. We thank you for not only dying for our sins, but we thank you that you rose from the dead because that gives us victory. 
And we're going to celebrate what he accomplished for us today. If you came here this morning and maybe you haven't made those decisions, you can make them right now. Jesus understands your heart. He understands your words. And you can ask him to come and take lordship of your life. So maybe while we sing this song, if you haven't made that decision yet, make that decision so you can celebrate with us what we call communion, the Lord's Supper. And we'll continue to do this, anticipating his soon coming, that I might be ready for that time when he calls me home to be with him. Let's stand as we worship, shall we?